You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. Welcome to episode 124 of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. I am your host, Tony Lopes. On this episode, you are going to hear from the king of podcasting, Todd Cochran, who's the founder and CEO of Blueberry.com. Todd wrote the book on podcasting. His book was called Podcasting, the Do-It-Yourself Guide. He was also the founder of the People's Choice Podcast Awards and the Tech Podcast Network, and is also credited with introducing the first advertisers into podcasting. That was GoDaddy. Todd was also inducted into the first class of the Podcasting Hall of Fame, but perhaps his biggest influence on podcasting is the creation of Blueberry. Blueberry is a subsidiary of the parent company Raw Voice, which offers a directory of more than 1.35 million shows. It also offers the number one WordPress podcasting plugin called PowerPress. This show is hosted on Blueberry. And while I didn't receive any compensation for this episode, I will tell you, and you'll notice as you listen to the episode, that I am a huge fan of Blueberry.com. Todd's also a U.S. Navy veteran with 25 years of experience. Here are the self-made strategies of Todd Cochran. First of all, huge, huge pleasure. Thank you for being so approachable. When I saw your your Zoom, your what was on YouTube, really, it was was... I guess over Zoom, but your talk recently about, you know, improving podcasting in general for podcasters. I I thought it was super cool. I reached out, you know, fully expecting that you were super busy and we scheduled it in less than a week, which is unbelievably impressive. And I'm so grateful that you've agreed to come onto the show. Uh, We host our show on Blueberry. I'm a huge fan of what you've done for podcasting. I think Blueberry is amazing. I recommend it to anyone who's curious about podcasting, who needs a, a space to host it. PowerPress, mind-blowing. <laughs> it, it's just incredible what you guys have done with with WordPress and with the integration, and it's made life so much easier and so much And smoother. more's coming. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool to hear. <laughs> I um I do produce a couple of podcasts for some nonprofit organizations as well, and we, we host all of it through Blueberry, and awesome. I can't thank you enough. I, I really think what you do for for the space, which is helping also to empower the voices of traditionally underrepresented communities through diversity and inclusion. It's, it's awesome. What you guys have done is amazing. And you know, that's a whole hour in itself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll do that on another show for sure. But um, I think what's even more mind blowing is that you're a U.S. Navy veteran who served 25 years in military service First of all, thank you for your service. Amazing, amazing, amazing. How do you go from being, you know, achieving the rank of senior chief petty officer, for those who don't know, is very high, and then end up in podcasting? How how does that even happen? Well, it's it's fate. Um, in mid-2004, I got hurt pretty bad, not in a combat accident, but a swimming pool accident of all things. I was in Bahrain. I was laid up for 13 days. I basically crushed my L1 vertebrae. Lucky to walk out as a three percenter. Uh, I mean, I was really lucky not to have been paralyzed. And uh, came home back to Hawaii and 
really, I was laid up for 60 days and I was in a body cast. And when you're broke, and I used to fly as a P3 air crewman. And when you're broke in the military, all eyes are upon you to what are you going to do? So I was really kind of worried that the command that I was in was going to, you know, say, you got to go someplace else or medical discharge or something. I didn't want that. And uh, I heard about this job from within our own organization where I could go babysit airplanes being built in Waco, Texas. So I was uh, staying in Hampton Inn on I-35, right out north of Waco, <laughs> um, and then going over to an aircraft manufacturing plant and doing contract enforcement. But in the, it was in July and August, and the 105 degrees in the shade in Waco and in this body cast was no fun. So I spent a lot of time in the hotel room. And I guess it was more like September. Uh, because I didn't start the show until October, but just surfing the internet on my laptop and I heard about podcasting and I was a blogger, a very bad blogger. Not very many, <laughs> not many people would visit the website at the time. And I said, well, I like to talk. So I started the show, my first show, Geek New Central. And that is the catalyst for everything that came afterwards. Really, there was a, a book deal, a sponsorship, and then, you know, basically the media buyer said, hey, do you know someone else who would like to advertise GoDaddy? And I, you know, this is July of 05, a year, and it, you know, almost a year. And I said, yes, I do. And as I got off the phone, I think, man, there's a business here. So I basically said on my show, I need a lawyer. I need a biz dev. I need a programmer. And I need a graphics guy. We're having a phone call in 10 days. I got on a phone call and who was on about nine people were on the phone. And the, after I signed to talk about the criteria, a bunch of them hung up and I was up with a lawyer, a graphics guy and a biz dev. Well, the graphics guy knew the programmer and there we had, we had five and we started the company virtually over the telephone. Wow. Wow. And that's what Blueberry is today. Yeah. So the company actually is called Raw Voice. If you get a check from us, right. it's, yeah. it's Raw Voice. And people are like, who's Raw Voice? And, <laughs> you know, and, you know, there's the whole story about how Blueberry name came about, too. We should have stuck with Raw Voice. We had a perfect name. but Raw um, Voice is the OG. That's the answer to that <laughs> yeah, question, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. All right. So for those who don't know, by the way, Blueberry is a hosting service like, you know, Libsyn. And there are many others, obviously, out there. But Blueberry has this one magical tool called PowerPress, which allows you to host whatever site you want on WordPress, making it super easy for you to find someone to design your site if you don't know how to do all of that. Through WordPress, you can go on Fiverr right now and get someone to design a great podcasting WordPress site. 150 bucks, 200 bucks on Fiverr, most likely. And then integrate PowerPress into that. And all you basically have to do is put your upload your file to Blueberry, which cannot be easier, by the way. Right, right in WordPress. Yeah, oh, you can do that right through WordPress. You're right. Right. I, I'm yeah. doing it the hard way. Sorry, I'm still I'm still <laughs> old school where I'm opening up a tab for Blueberry to make sure I'm organized and I know you know. But you drop your you drop your file in, and it automatically integrates it and puts a player, a subscribe, an RSS feed subscribe link, the whole thing right on your WordPress site. It looks beautiful, perfectly integrated. It's as easy as typing out a blog. It's incredible. How did you come up with that? And then how did, first of all, how did you come up with it? And then second to that, 
And you can tell I'm geeking out. I'm sure people sure, can tell sure. I'm geeking out on this. And then second to that, how did you get WordPress to kind of agree to pseudo partner with you to allow you to to build this this platform out? Well, you know, here's the interesting thing. WordPress is open. Right. And they have an entire plugin infrastructure. There's hundreds of thousands of plugins. Um, but going back to when we started PowerPress, there was another plugin that someone was developing. Actually, some company was paying a guy to develop and maintain a plugin for for WordPress and he got, he quit getting paid and this plugin started to time out bugs. They, it was using flash players at the time. And of course flash we now now is right. like this gateway to hackers. And <laughs> so long story short, my CIO, Angel Mandato said, let's, let's make a plugin for work for podcasting. And at the time we were not a hosting company yet. We were a hundred percent focused on advertising deals and measuring podcasts. We weren't even in the, in the hosting space, but our, wow. we said, if they use our plugin, we don't care which host they use, we can get the stats information by providing free stats. So, and we still have 50, 60,000 customers that just get stats from us and don't host with us, which is kind of interesting. But hmm. the, um, so we built the plugin and naturally it evolved over time. And then what we started to see from a business perspective, we started to see revenue going down for advertising because in the early days, there was no massive shows. There was no Adam Carolla's. There was no Joe Rogan, no Roman Mars. They were all shows that were 35, 40,000 uh, downloads or plays uh, per episode. That was about the top of the ecosphere in the early days. And, uh, and then as soon as these bigger names started showing up, the advertising money rolled up and in the and what happens, the 90% of the rest of the podcasting space got left behind on, on ad deals for many years. So we saw revenue going down. I said, we, you know, we need to pivot. And what we did is we added the hosting services at that time. And revenue kind of matched in the middle as, as ad stuff was going down, the hosting revenue was coming up. So today, I think we're actually next week releasing version 8.6. Um, just did a bug release like literally 30 seconds ago as I saw it came across Slack. Um, we're, we're probably got 65 to 70,000 active active shows that are used in the plugin and probably another 30 to 50,000 shows that have stopped producing or whatever that are basically maintaining their, um, ma maintain the plugin, maintain their website, maintaining their podcasts online. Maybe it's a series or something. Right. So well over 100,000 shows they're using the plugin today. That's that's awesome. It's incredible. And yeah, again, it, it's I'm not getting anything from Todd for this, but I I have to say I'm a huge fan. That's where we host our show, where we post our our where we host all of the shows that we manage through my uh production company as well. But yeah, super cool journey story and that's amazing how you've grown it. So you started with this core group of a few people how did that evolve into the well, massive organization that it is today? Well, we're not that big today. We hover between 20 and 23. And, and it usually 23, 24 is when we have three or four interns in. But when we started, um, I was still in the Navy. My CFO was still a, a, a lawyer in Michigan. Um, the whole team had jobs. And uh, so we were building this thing after our nine to five. You know, we were putting in sweat equity, credit card, you know, we, we built this thing and luckily we are profitable. This is an interesting 
probably not very many businesses can say this in this almost, well, we, we started in June, July of 2000, uh, I mean, August of 2005, we've not had a negative growth month in that entire time. Wow. We've had, we've had growth every month. Now, some of it's been smaller, you know, bigger than others. You know, there's been months it's been really narrow growth, <laughs> but, um, we, uh, we're profitable from the beginning and, uh, we, you know, we put money into infrastructure and did everything we could to build things up and we didn't have HR. We didn't have payroll. None of us were on the pay payroll. And finally we got to a certain point and my CIO was the first to say, Hey, we need you full time. And we were at a point where we could pay him, compensate him so that his, his family wouldn't suffer and that he could uh, build equity in the company. And, um, he went full time the first and we subleased an office someplace where he could get away from the house and work. Um, his wife's also a programmer. So that's a interesting duo, <laughs> but it's, um, it, we really, what we did is, um, in the early days we did go shopping for money and I went to Silicon Valley and I, you know, I went up and down the major roads there where all the venture capitalists are. And everyone told me I was too old. My team was too old and that we needed in order to get money, you, we'd have to find some, you know, I was only 40 at the time, um, need to bring some more folks into the company that's younger and, and uh, we'd have to move to uh, California. And huh. team members that are adults, you know, um, with children and careers. And, I'm, and we were ready to go full time, but we said, we don't need the money and the headache. And uh, we continue to build it. So what we did then is we built slow and steady. As revenue increased, I'd add another employee. We learned, we made mistakes, we did stupid things. We, you know, we threw, you know, we we lived a we lived a no no. We were very meager in our expenditures, but we didn't waste money when it came to marketing events, going to. Uh, like we're having a Vegas, having a convention, we, you know, we did big things with the limited amount of money. Um, and there, those are some great stories there. We get, we had some fantastic parties in the early days of podcasting that probably some of the pictures today, I hope never surface, but it, you know, it was, it was, we had a great time building this thing from the, from the get go. So ultimately my CIO is in Columbus. And as we grew, we finally grew into a, a dedicated office. And I think we outgrew that at one point. Matter of fact, people are almost sitting on top of one another. And today, we're um, of course we haven't been in. Matter of fact, we're starting to go back to the office this coming Monday. But the um, I've got like a twenty five hundred square foot uh, office in Columbus where the team, majority of the team, is at. I go down there on a periodic basis, or was before COVID, and uh, so slow and steady, adding people as we could afford it, uh, leveraging. Uh, you know, every type of resource we could do to build and did it get us to be number one? No, but most of my competition from those early days are gone. And of course the podcasting space has turned changed completely now and, and podcast hosting is becoming a little more commoditized. So we're just having to uh, making sure that we're bringing great tools and services. Our customer support is incredible. Uh, you know, so all those things that we have to do, make sure we, we take care of our, our customers and continue to build customers. Yeah, it's super cool. So when you're building, though, at that level and with a, a very, at the time, extremely disruptive type of company, 
And I, first of all, quick sidebar, I find it hilarious that you go to Silicon Valley and that of all places, they just have the blinders on and can't, oh, can't really see the landscape, right? Yeah. But so as you're growing, what's the litmus test for you per employee sort of in your brain? And I know that this is a really abstract thing, but it's a question that I see a lot and, and that I think about a lot as well with, with the organizations that I'm a part of is when do we, it, it's kind of that double Dutch thing, right? Where the ropes are swinging. It's like, all right, we've got revenue coming in. And at what point can you finally, you know, take the plunge and bring somebody in to take over, which will cause a little bit of a dip in your take-home cash, at least as one of the founders, right? When when do you make that decision? How do you make that decision? Well, you know, the, the team is still, you know, the we haven't changed players. We have a, you know, at this point, you know, I'm still filling the role as founder and CEO. Mm -hmm. My CFO is the CFO. He's CFO and legal. My CIO is still CIO. And then we built a core team, a fantastic, diverse team around all of us, brought in sm as smart people as we could uh, uh, bring in. And, uh, you know, I think what we really looked at from a, building a business standpoint, and I'll give my CFO credit, is we needed to have a certain amount of cash in the bank at all times to make sure that as we added someone, our projected revenues kept up so that we didn't you know, get into trouble. If we could weather a storm, um, I was at one point bragging that we could run a year on cash reserve without any additional revenue coming in. Wow. Um, so we were, you know, we were real careful on that. But, you know, there's also a fine line being between being too careful and if, if you slow yourself down too much because you haven't taken enough risk. So, We've taken risk when we felt we needed to to bring on, uh, bring on team members. So we're dev heavy. Uh, we're now adding to, I guess, what we call the administrative side, bringing on marketing, those types of, of functions. For a while, we hired a marketing firm and 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 did that third party. Got to a point where I said, okay, let's bring this in house. I'd rather have someone forty hours a week than someone ten. Uh, you know, when you're paying a marketing firm, you don't get them for forty hours a week. So we, um, we really tried to build smart. And at the same time, um, the space has changed so much. We're now, you know, we went and done a whole big study on user personas to make sure that we know exactly who our customers are. Because if I'm going to build something, I better build it for the 90%. I've not built something for the three. Uh, the 3% is cool, but the 3% isn't going to get you to the next million dollars in revenue, the 90%. Right, right. So we've done a hard look at that. And I think what you'll see coming out of us over the next mm, six to nine months is something very, very different and exciting. Uh, I'm not going to lay out everything we're doing, but we've been very public about we're going through our complete UI. We're doing a, I mean, we're gutting the old UI wow. and putting a new UI in place. And matter of fact, I'm doing backflips on I matter of fact, I saw the stats demo, new stats demo yesterday. Oh. oh, that's all I can say. <laughs> so, so um, you know, I, I think what we're what we've understood, we understand who our core is. We know it's independent content creators. We have our corporate clients. Don't get me wrong. We work with you know, companies like ESPN all the way down to the individual that's doing a podcast in his closet. But I think the one thing that really sets us apart from almost 
all of our competition is we believe that content creators, businesses, consultants, whatever, they should build their brand on their .com. Not, you know, you never built. Have you ever heard of a radio station renting the land that they build the radio tower on? Exactly. You know, they, they, they don't do that. Now, maybe today in consolidation, that's happening a little bit. Maybe right. they go together with three or four people, three or four stations. But typically, you don't build your castle on rented land. So you, when you're building your, your brand and your business, if you're doing all the social stuff, doing YouTube, you're doing Twitter, you're doing Instagram, and you add podcasting component to your marketing strategy, you don't go drop that on somebody else's website. And that's where Blueberry and the PowerPress plugin and our integrated platform I, I use this uh, adage a little bit once in a while, and it, it's it's basically we provide products and services and then get the hell out of the way. That's because I when you when someone comes to your website, we don't want I don't care. They they should not know that you're using Blueberry Podcast. Right. You're building your brand. You're not building my brand. So many of my competitors say, oh, come over here, come over here to my website, to my dot com and build your site over here. Well. And it makes no sense for a lot of people that are in the content creation space. So it's a little different. Now, don't get me wrong. We have some companies that don't use WordPress. They use Wix or whatever. And um, we do have ability for them to publish on our dashboard, take the embed for the audio player. Right. We do provide an RSS feed. But most of those clients, including folks on other platforms, they graduate into our platform. We migrate a lot of people off. Because they make it, they figure it out three, six months in. They say, hmm, am I really building my brand or I'm building someone else's? And that's where we bring them over. And of course, some of my competitors pick up those customers too. But uh, the ones we catch, they're able to come in and really kind of reestablish and do it right. Because now it's all about winning the Google SEO game. Because pod, right. uh, podcast discovery, the number one way is through Google at this point. Yeah. And by the way, I think that's such a, a a super cool mentality to have as a founder and CEO of a big organization to say, "Hey, look, we're 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 good. We're we're making what we're supposed to make, and you should go and try to build your brand and grow." I couldn't agree with you more. And that's that's a huge part of the reason that that I chose Blueberry and that I've stuck with you as well. Um, and we had a similar issue to exactly to what you described, where we were working with a nonprofit. We still are. We're we're working with them. And, um, and their site is not on WordPress. And I was just bagging my head, like, just do it on <laughs> WordPress. We can, we'd make it so much easier, but, uh, you know, we, we, we embedded it and it, sure. it's worked really, really successfully as well. But the integration through PowerPress is just so much easier. Um, you've done so many cool things also in addition to, and I really want to get into the GoDaddy story as well, cause I think that's a big one, but you've, you uh, you were inducted into the inaugural class of the Podcast Hall of Fame in 2015. Huge honor. You are also the founder of the People's Choice Podcast Awards and the Tech Podcast Network. Uh, you're also credited with introducing, again, the first advertiser into podcasting, which was GoDaddy. Awesome. Just so cool. The the things that you've done throughout your your journey and still more to come. I can't wait to see it. So tell us now about that story with GoDaddy, especially that early on <laughs> in the podcasting game where nobody's really uh, investing. How did you get them to to get on board? It's it's a big it's it's a little story, but it's a big story. Um, in the early days of podcasting, there was no Libsyn, there was no Blueberry, there was you you had to do it on your own. 
And matter of fact, my expenses got crazy because I had as many as like 10 shared hosting accounts. I had to move the show every three days. Wow. Because I'd run out of bandwidth. You know, I'd use 500 gig here. And I had, I'd had to upload 12 or 13 different places. And then we'd have to change your, just to keep the show on the air. And um, what happened was, is I, my personal website from, you know, having 300 hits a week as a blogger to being crushed as a podcaster. I was getting a lot of website traffic. Well, I, I needed a bigger box, you know? So I went out and got a GoDaddy virtual private network box. And be honest with you at that time, that was not a great product. And I talked pretty bad about it on my show, on my <laughs> show. And I talked so bad about it that it got their attention. And we, they said, listen, yeah, what you're on is not sufficient. You need to be on a dedicated server. So I made those arrangements, kind of dedicated server, happy, happy, move on. But that was only, that was like March of 2004. So in early June of 2005, when Chris Redlinger from GoDaddy called me, she said, Todd, we want to advertise in your podcast. I'm like, uh, maybe you ought to go back and listen to uh, you know, these few episodes where I was trashing you guys, right? And then um, she did. And she came back. And she says, well, you, you know, you handled it well. You worked with our team. You talked about it on your show. Great story. Um, as a matter of fact, we're going to make sure that you have direct access to the VP, that you can go right ab above tech support if any of your customers have or any of your audience members that use the product have a problem. And so we, we, we set up a deal and, and she said, how much do you want for a month? And I'll be honest with you, I did not know. At the time, I thought I had about 40,000 downloads a month. This was before Blueberry. So we were using a rudimentary tool that was just scraping a log file and it wasn't filtering out <laughs> bots or right, anything. Right. So probably it was more like 10, you know, 10,000 <laughs> instead of 40,000. But, you know, that, that was the number you thought you had. And I said, well, how does 300 bucks sound? <laughs> I'd been on this quest because my wife had told me, you've got two years to figure out how make money with this thing. I wasn't nowhere near the end of that clock, but I thought I'd already gotten the book deal and got paid on that and get the sponsorship. Boom, 300 was going to cover what my costs were for hosting. So did that month and she called me back and she said, we want to renew for a year. And I'm like, great. And so I said, how did we do? She said, well, you brought us 376 new customers. Wow. And I was like, hmm, you know, so my brain's working, right? And uh, I said, I got to do some math uh, and I'll, I'll call you back. And I, for two, three hours, I worked the spreadsheet and went on their website. And I was trying to figure out what the value of that was, right? Well, I called her back and I said, I gave her a four-figure number that was decent. And, you know, when you ever go buy a car, <laughs> if you ever have a used car salesman say, Yes, if immediately. They snap your call, first, yeah. <laughs> if, they, if, if they snap, say sold, you know you you went too high. Well, I went too low, and uh, I and and it happened so quick. I paused, and she kind of giggled, and she says, "You went a little low, huh?" And I said, "Well, I said, I said, well, I said, pull up," and I just pulled this out of the air. I said, "How about a performance bonus as well?" So if I get this, I'll take the base. And then if we hit this, you give me a performance bonus. Well, that performance bonus was worth a lot of money. I mean, to the tune over 15 or 16 years, about $3 million. Wow. So wow. That, that single moment of saying, I want a performance bonus, 
was a zinger. It was, it really did a, a, a major delta. So we signed a deal. And as we're getting off the phone, this is where the magic moment happened. She said, do you know any other podcasters that want to advertise GoDaddy? Well, I'd formed the Tech Podcast Network in January of 05. Had about 13 or 14 guys that were core there. I said, absolutely. I said, uh, let me talk to them. So then I'm like, hey, I can take a commission on this. And what if this scales? And that's how, how the business was formed. Really, that was the sequence of events that led to me announcing a few weeks later in my podcast, hey, I'm looking for these four or five guys or four or five people. Wow. Not, you know, it wasn't guys, but four or five people to be part of this company. Wow. Such a cool story. That's so great. And I love the snap call. You're right. It's like, oh, I, I had the chance there, but, but you cleaned it up very cleverly Ooh, and took the percentage man, on the back end. Lucky, lucky I did. Too. You know, <laughs> sitting here listening to your stories, I'm gathering that you're pretty much just a lucky guy, right? You, you, you've had well, a lot yeah. of luck in your life. That's a good thing. It, it's, it's, you know, and not everything's luck. We, no, you know, of course, we, of course. We, you know, I, I say that tongue some, in cheek, of course. We've thrown yeah. some spitballs on the wall that didn't stick that we spent a lot of money developing. Matter of fact, we developed some stuff early on that was way, way, way before its time. We came up with the model of the uh, CNN iReporter. We had that as a, a part of our model in the early days with the Podcaster News. We had a premium thing where you could sell your premium content that was like 10 years before wow. anyone. Yeah. And it they're just, just didn't catch. They're just implementing that now. Yeah. Right. Right. And, but it never caught traction because it was too early. It was 10. We had the vision, but it was 10 years too early for the market to be ready for. Right. And when stuff doesn't, when you built something, and matter of fact, the code somewhere on the shelf someplace, but when you build something and then it doesn't track in 90 days, you don't keep throwing bad money at it right or good money at it because good money turns to bad money or bad investment so yeah so you know not everything's been perfect no i know that i say that tongue-in-cheek because i often joke around that that i'm one of the luckiest guys on the planet i get to do some really cool stuff and and have a lot of fun and um you're right what people don't see is the hard work that leads to that luck in the background right but uh but I was saying that tongue in cheek. I think that's really cool. You've done some really, really neat stuff. All right, let's talk about the other side. And by the way, I love, I send out a questionnaire to, to my guests. And one of the questions is, what are three topics you feel comfortable discussing? And you said anything, which, which I love. That's, you get the award for the best response for sure, all time. Uh, that's great. Um, so now let's let's take it to, one, one of the things I really want to talk about is pod fade, which unfortunately oh. is really affecting the market because pandemic wise podcasting has experienced a massive boom and just looks like it's on crazy rocket fuel and it's not stopping anytime soon. Yep. And, but part of the problem that comes with that is the democratization of the ability to easily create and post this type of content is that, well, people just think, you know, this is super easy. So I'm just going to hit record on my computer on GarageBand or whatever, start recording this show, and you know people are going to love it. And often it doesn't work that way when you don't build nope. things for your audience, as you pointed out earlier. So let's start with if someone's thinking about starting a show, and I know this this could be a series or, or a long-lasting podcast in and of itself, but what would be your initial advice and best practices for that individual to create a show that's going to be appealing and hopefully build an audience? Let me start out with just some facts so people can 
get a reference here. There's currently about a million dead shows on a certain platform. And we're not going to talk about the platform here. But free is not always a good model in podcasting. So we're going to set that million aside and not include them in what I want to call traditional podcast success statistics. So if we throw that million aside, we're left with, you know, probably a, a million shows that have been created in the last, you know, 24 months. And um, throughout time, we've done this survey in our system on a periodic basis. And what we see is 50% of shows never make it to episode seven. Another, the remaining 50%, they don't make it to episode 22 or 23. Those that do generally, and about 90% of the time will make it two years at least with their podcast. So that gives you some odds. So if you've made it to episode 25, hey, you're, you're, you've beaten most of the odds at this point. What happens but, after that? Because I'm in the 120s and have been at it for two years and trying so to figure out the next it, step. It, there is a time when podcasters have to decide, am I doing this for a hobby? Am I doing this because I love it? Am I doing this to build my business and or consulting? Am I trying to build authority and whatever I'm doing? So there's different reasons people have for doing a show. So whatever that is, usually about 60 or 70% of them continue, even if they're not monetizing. Now, there's going to be a percentage you're going to say, we just didn't get enough traction here. We're done. Uh, Blueberry is unique in its positioning in the space because we have a large number of people that are of those categories, businesses, consultants, people they are building brands. They're, they already had a social media infrastructure. They're doing the things on Instagram, you know, all the other stuff. And they added podcasting kind of later and maybe sometimes the opposite way around too. But now I see a trend where people are chasing topics and that's not going to end well. So if you're thinking that uh, true crime is or fiction is what you're going to go after because it's a category that has room for a lot of growth, if you're not that person. If that's not your passion, <laughs> you're going to be a statistic. So I've always said, even on my own personal show, when it quits being fun, I'm going to stop even my own show. But right now I'm having a blast. I'm still doing the show. It's fun. I, I, I don't begrudge in getting ready to do it. But if you're going to start something, you better think about, do I, can I talk about this for two years? So I do it, my show solo my primary show. I do a, another show with another guy's got a co-host and we've been at that show 10 years. I've been at my other show almost now a 16 plus. So the question really is, can you do two years worth of content? Is there enough stuff there? And if there is, and you can think that through, you're probably going to do well. Now, when I started my show, I had zero credibility in the space, zero. I was a techie. I like talking about text. I started talking about tech, tech stuff. I went to the Consumer Electronics Show. I went around and interviewed people. And from that, I built literally something that was quite amazing from an authority standpoint. I'm on first name basis with over, over 1,000 corporate, everything, everything from Fortune 500 all the way up. Um, people that I can call and say, Hey, what's new, what's coming. And they're going to tell me and keep me under NDA if they have to be or send me product. So I built authority over time for that show. And that's what a lot of podcasters have to do. They have to build authority because most of us are not Oprah. 
Yeah, most of us, maybe we're known in our region, maybe we're known in a tri-state area, or maybe we're known in a very specific, you know, we all don't have this global reach. So podcasting is global. So if you're a real estate person and you are trying to sell houses locally and you're going to do a real estate show, you better, you better think again. You want to be networking with other realtors in other states so that when a lead comes in, in a state that you don't have a license in, you've got someone to send them to that, you know, that you trust. So podcasting is, you know, is a global space. And I think you have to think globally when you're doing content. Now there's niche. You can do hyper niche and do something within your region, but is there enough people in your region to make that work for that niche? Yeah. And I couldn't agree with you more. And, and first of all, thank you for not even mentioning monetization. Cause I think that that's also part of the problem, much like what you talked about in reference to people trying to dip their toe because they think there's opportunity in the space. Podcasting for the purposes of generating revenue or monetization is a bad initial strategy, in my view, at least. I think it works way better as a medium when, as you said, you're really passionate about something in particular and you're willing to take the occasional punch to the gut or not going to focus necessarily on, you know, if you go after monetization and you're lucky enough to get a sponsor, however big or small, advertiser, sponsor, whatever, you're now beholden to a commitment to bring in certain numbers for that That's show. Every, so I that, every month. Exactly. And then that changes things from the perspective that you mentioned where if you do it based on something that you're passionate about, there's likely an audience out there that probably has similar passions. And that at least maintains the fun. And the gravy that comes in because of it is all gravy at that point, and there's no pressure. And as a professional, if you're using it to amplify your brand and to gain trust in your space or to take more control of your personal brand or divert, diversify yourself, I'm a, a lawyer by trade, don't hold it against me. And that's part of the reason that I started the podcast to begin with was I wanted to be able to sit down, it used to be in person, sit down with people who were entrepreneurs and innovators. Those were the people that I was interested in just to figure out how their brain worked. And they were the target client for me, quite frankly. And so I wanted to learn more about what was going on in that space as a whole. And it's very broad. And a lot of people have shows like that. But I do it because I love it. And there's no pressure on me to bring in you know, a specific number or whatever. And it has led to business. And initially, people looked at me with kind of, you know, crossed eyes or like, eh, you know, why are you doing this thing? You're a lawyer doing a podcast. That's kind of <laughs> weird. But after a certain point, if, as you've said, I've gotten to the two-year mark and now it's no longer a question. It's, wow, that's really cool. How do you find the time more? So it's a different thing, right? But it does lead to opportunity. It leads to business. It leads to other things. And it builds expertise. It builds trust. It's great as a medium for that. Not so great if you're trying to generate millions of dollars of revenue from it from advertisers, unless you're Joe Rogan, uh, that's right, Oprah, Adam Carolla, etc. Get your mind off of that, focus it, on it, doing it because it's fun, right? Focus on building. If, if, if you, it's, it's like when you're working at work, if you get any a work evaluation that you had sustained superior performance, you're going to get a promotion in a race. If you are doing sustained superior content episode after episode, your audience is going to grow and people are going to share 
And you are going to build that big audience that will pay, can pay, you know, huge amounts of money to you now, but you got to do the grind. And I lived in Hawaii for 25 years. And when we would go eat, we said, let's go grind and go grind through some food. Right. We didn't in podcasting, you got to grind, you, you know, you got to get your voice, you got to get uh, your, your rhythm down. You, you there's, there's, I have a little stick right here, right on the, my monitor, right from me. It says, you are talking to one. You're talking to one person. And in, so when I do my show, I, I have to remind myself, I'm not talking to an audience. I'm talking to one person because they're plugged in, in with their earbuds. And if they think that they're not being talked to directly, it's not as personal. So it's just little things. Even after all these years of doing the show, I have to remind myself, you know, who I'm talking to and, and am I bringing them value? And sometimes I run out of stuff to say, I said, well, <laughs> you know, I've exhausted the wealth today. We're, we're going to get you out of here. I'm not going to waste your time. There's so many little things that we could talk about creating content, but sustain superior content. The audience will come, but you can't just do a podcast. You have to do other things. It's, it's, yeah, you know, I have a right. list of like 13 or 14 things. And usually I feed that down someone's throat with a fire hose and they, <laughs> they drown. So now I just give people, you know, tidbits, write a good episode title, write a good first paragraph in your show notes. You do those two things. You're going to be doing things better than 90% of podcasters out there now, because podcasters don't, you record for your audience. You're right for Google. That's a great point. That's a great, great point. And I love that as a soundbite. Record for your audience, but write for Google. That's that's awesome. So to that end, and I know, again, these are all really deep topics, and we're not going to be able to cover them at a profound level. Although, by the way, I think you do things very much like a naval officer, succinctly, efficiently, <laughs> get the mission done. Um, what What are your best practices for writing good show titles and writing good show notes to get your show more of an audience? into that Google algorithm, social media algorithm, all of those algorithms that you've got to play against? First of all, what was the topic of the show? What was the primary topic? What was the thing that really stood out? What was the thing that made you go, hmm, or that was cool? That's because if you think it's cool, a lot of other people are going to think it's cool too. So then I go to google.com and I Google some topics around that topic. And I kind of look and I kind of see, well, am I competing against TechCrunch? Or am I competing against uh, what site am I competing against for this phrase that pays? So you, you have to write a title that, um, that someone naturally is going to search for on Google. Now, this is all incremental stuff that you have to do. Writing the t title is just one step. Get that title figured out, then write a supporting paragraph with that content to support the first paragraph supports the title. Then if you had someone that was interviewed on you, you better beg, borrow and steal to make sure they link back to that article once it's published because you build backlinking rank. You just, and you got to make sure that, you know, you give a package that Google can go, Hmm, yum, let's put him in number one in the search result. I don't win them all. I work really hard at it, but I win about 80% of those search term races and I might, I'm right in there thick of it. For my content, for my tech show, I'm right in there with Ars Technica. I'm in there with TechMeme. I'm in there with two or three other sites. Ultimately, and here's where podcasters make the biggest mistake. What happens when they get to your website? Is there an opportunity within the three seconds you've got them on the website for them to say, this guy's got a podcast, let me subscribe to it. You'd be shocked. 
the number of podcast sites, podcasts or sites I go to, I have to click three or four times to find out where to subscribe or even find a show. If you're a podcaster, you're a podcaster. You better have ability for someone to subscribe immediately. I have 15, let me look at the book box here. I got 15,842 articles on my website at geekmacentral.com. That's where my primary show is. On 15,842 pages, even though the earliest one is back in 2004 and is never getting a hit ever again, there is a subscribe sidebar on the right-hand top column of that website so people can subscribe. People get wrapped around, oh, my website's got to be beautiful. No, your website's got to get people into Google and got to get them to subscribe. Now, how many subscribe? Maybe one half of 1%, maybe two-tenths of 1%. But when you get between 20 and 200,000 search hits at search search traffic coming to the website every day that adds up over time but again see if i was only getting three thousand or only getting 800 hits a day to my website again this is a marathon this is not a sprint so you keep doing these things again and again and again and along with all the other promotional stuff it'll pay off in diamonds yeah, it's brilliant advice. And and those numbers are staggering, by the way, as you said. I mean, if it's half of a percent, that seems low, but the volume, it's fire hose, The volume. Right? Yeah, the volume right. that's coming in. So yeah, and you, you as you pointed out, you've got three seconds. That person, th their attention, it's minority report, right? It's right. They're just being like scattershot. Has with, this guy got what I'm searching for? Right. It's yes, and they stay and read, or they nope, wasn't it, and they go somewhere else. Yep. In three seconds. Yeah. That's then, and the ones that stay for a long time, those are the ones you Yahoo, you get them automatically. But I think, gosh, I land on so many podcasters' websites, and it, uh, you can't find nothing above the fold. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Great advice. It, it's truly incredible, and and not even that. They only promote Apple Podcasts or maybe Spotify. They don't even promote Google podcast and oh man we can go on for hours on this but it really it's just about writing good title and good stuff so that was the long answer to it no but that's a great answer I think you're right and that's and you pointed it out this is just a one incremental tiny thing one of a thing. bigger picture you need to be on social media you need to nowadays I really think it's almost incumbent that if you're doing a podcast me personally, I think you need video with it. You should be I, taking advantage of YouTube and Vimeo I, and all these other channels. Been doing it for 10 years. Yeah. Doing I, live for 10 years. Yeah. We were doing live on when like Blip TV and some of those folks in the early days. We didn't know what we were doing. But today, 70% of my audience listens, 30% watches. They wow. podcast. Wow. How many, how many people do I have on YouTube? 20. 30. I have 3,000 or 4,000 subscribers on YouTube, but I get no views. The views I get there are live. But people are subscribed to my video podcast. Now, people say, what is that? That's the same way you get an audio podcast. It's a video podcast. Right. Now, let me ask you this. When you're doing live versions of your podcast, because this is a lot like any other form of content generation in many ways, although way more accessible. But when you're doing live forms, are you just doing a little bit of a teaser? We'll go live for the first 15 minutes or whatever it is. Or are you doing literally the whole episode will I be do, live I do as the well? Whole I do the whole episode and I don't edit. It's one shot. And here's, here's what, and this is going to drive some of you that are OCD <laughs> crazy. A, right? Doing live makes you a better podcaster. You have to be prepped. You have to be ready to go. You have to know your flow, you know, because there's no editing in live and you've had people watching. But the biggest mistake most people that do live forget is that 
the 97% or 99% of the audience is still listening to your podcast, the 10, 20 people that you have on live is there for your entertainment, a little interactivity. It's there to keep you from being bored. It's not, it, it's, you have, you can't forget this audience that is getting the show via follower subscribe. Right. They're, they're the core. Right. And right. I, I have to reel myself back in all the time because I'll say, look at this. Well, if the audio people are like, what are you talking about? So you have to be descriptive when you're doing video. Interesting. Yeah. And, and of course, with calls to action along the way, make sure you subscribe to the show. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can stay up to speed on these lives. Now, are you doing live mainly on YouTube nowadays or are you I taking advantage everywhere. of the so everywhere? I do. I do. I use Wowza and I push to Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube live. Matter of fact, I post uh, two places on Twitter and two places on Facebook Live. So I think we're doing seven total live streams, but I restream wow. through, uh, through cloudwowza.com. And, and Wowza is also kind of like an OBS, like a hosting where you can just, it's doing everything. They, they do everything, but I send them one stream, then they redistribute it to all my destination points. Wow. So when I, when I start the show, it takes about two minutes to get all the streams up and running. Oh, cool. And then, but then it's all live time or do you it's have like live, a, a, yeah. okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah. And are you using like a black magic? I'm looking at mine cause I have one next to me and like an ATEM mini kind of thing or what kind of hardware uh, are you I, using? I spent the big money. I bought a TriCaster. So wow. I have a TriCaster TC one. I started out small and upgraded over the years. Of course. But I, if I was to do this over again, there's, there's four or five products under a thousand bucks. I'd probably use OBS. Oh, interesting. Okay. So yeah, you, if you I was to do OBS. it over again. Yeah. Now, now, would you say if somebody was starting a podcast? Now, here's the thing. I, I mean, first of all, I'm a firm believer. I've been saying this since the the early days of mine, and I'm I'm very juvenile in comparison to you, of course. But uh, I've been saying from the beginning, super powerful medium, very low barrier to entry. I really think a lot of people, if not everyone, should consider getting into this space. One, because it's the wave of the future. This is this is where we're headed. And two, it would be like if you got into it, I got into it about 2018, end of 2018 was when I started producing and we launched in March of 2019. Uh, we were Blueberry from day one for, for our show, by the way. Um, but uh, I was lucky enough that everything was very democratized when I got into it. But had you gotten into it then, there were, I think the number was around 250,000-ish active podcasts at the time, active shows, meaning right. actively produced. That's like getting into YouTube way in the early days. Way, well, way. E even today, there's still only about 800,000 truly Incredible, shows. right? Yeah. Right. So to invest in content, I think this is podcasting is should be the core of every content marketing strategy because one, you create a podcast way easier than you create a bunch of other things all in one place. And then you can chop that up. And as you mm -hmm. said, you can go live. You've got social media content. You've got your email marketing stuff down. You can do SMS marketing through this. A plethora of marketing opportunity. But all of that aside, I think people do need to plan their shows, be really strategic, as you've pointed out. But if you were starting a show or if you were producing shows for other people, would you say to them, you have to go live as a part of that today? I don't think someone brand new is ready to go live on day one. Okay. I, I think you have to, I think you have to get the audio down. So I think you need to do, 
again, this is just my opinion. And here's the beauty about podcasting. Opinions are a dime a dozen and you can do whatever you want podcasting. There's no rules. Right. So if you feel confident, go live on day one, but that's usually overload. So I, because I run a single man show here, I got one, two, three computers, you know, crazy stuff. So I think that, um, get 20, 30, 40 episodes under your belt. Okay. Any, uh, and, or, you know, get to the point where you feel comfortable, where you think you found your voice and have that battle rhythm. When you sit down, you know how the show is going to flow and how it's going to feel. And then maybe you're ready to do audio because I have a lot of stuff I have to concentrate on. I'm going through 25 different articles. I do a lot of prep. Whereas when I do the new media show with Rob Greenlee, him and I just go. We, we've got enough things that we're seeing this going on in space. We don't have to do any prep. Uh, I don't necessarily recommend that all the time because him and I kind of run into brick walls once in a while. So right. I think that um, live is good when you're ready to go live and it doesn't have to break the bank. That's the beauty of it. You can use a great webcam and, and do live, but start out where your audience is too. You don't have to be in seven places like I am. You got to find, if you're, your audience is on Facebook, do it on Facebook, if they're on YouTube, do it on YouTube. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, you need to look at where your pre-built audiences are yeah. already and start to kind of dive where, into where, that. And I use, I don't like to use the word tribe, but wherever your tribe's hanging out, that's where you need to do live. Right. Okay. Now what about for shows? That's, that's great advice for someone who's looking to get into the medium, sort of the at home single or, or two person team that's going to start their own show and really have no basis to start. But I'm also asking this as a content producer on the side for other organizations, when we're starting, let's say, a podcast for a nonprofit, which, by the way, I, I, I have found to be the best from a business perspective, nonprofits are the in the best position to start podcasts. They're under-resourced. They don't have a ton of capacity. That's right. And But they have very passionate stories. They have a very engaged community. It's it's just like the ripe, you know, fertile territory for that. So if when we're starting podcasts for nonprofit organizations, even from day one, we have a production team that's coming in and handling all the technical stuff right, and right. prepping them for the show. So they're ready to go. You know, all they have to do is get up and host. In that case, would you say we should be doing live from day one? If they've got mic time, yes. If they've got, it, it really depends on who's behind the mic or camera. Okay, right. Good point. So you're going to kind of know as being that person, yeah, he or she is ready. And maybe you do a couple of dry runs with the audio. Maybe you do it, think, maybe you record it to to, uh, to hard drive and see how it turns. Because you can always do live playback as live. Um, <laughs> Movie magic. <laughs> that's right. You, you can do that. So I think I would, I, I guess it depends on the personality. Um, but, you know, if you've got someone, passion goes a long way in this space. Passion and uh, honesty, being forthright. The audience can smell fake. They right. can smell it. It's like smelling skunk. You know, it's a skunk. You know, so they, they can smell when someone's not right. So the nonprofit folks, they're like you said, I think they're real well suited for that. Yeah, and, that, and that's, that's why you've seen the success from the Joe Rogans, the Adam Carollas, those those personalities in podcasting, even Oprah and Gary Vee, for example, all yeah. of them are hyper passionate on the microphone and just light up 
when the lights and the camera come on so that they're a good fit. That's that's a great point. Awesome. Awesome. Red Red Bull's my primer sometimes. Oh, uh, <laughs> to get your energy <laughs> level up so that you're ready to roll. <laughs> right. Uh, it's cool. Well, Todd, thank you so much. Where where can people reach out to you? Blueberry.com. And we'll, of course, post the link in the show notes. But it's B-L-U-B-R-R-Y.com. Great, 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 yep. phenomenal hosting service. And again, Todd did not in any way pay me to say this, but I'm a huge fan and and geeking out that, I, I mean, I was calling and texting everybody. I'm getting the CEO of Blueberry on my show and they're all <laughs> texting me back. So uh, super excited to have had you on the show. This was really cool. How else can people get in contact with you if they want to check out your show or sure. reach out? Uh, real simple, Todd at Blueberry.com. And it's in the, what I like to say, it's Blueberry without the E's because we couldn't afford the E's. So, <laughs> <laughs> and um, if you want to try, a, I don't know if you're an affiliate with us or not. If if, if you are, you, use your promo code. But if you want a 30-day pro trial, they can use that on the checkout and get founder. Use the promo code founder for 30 days free. Um, but yeah, just go over to Blueberry.com. Check us out. If you want to check, the probably the show people want to check out is the new media show at newmediashow.com. That if you listen to that podcast long enough, you'll get a PhD in podcasting. Uh, we don't give a certificate, but it's an honorary one. Uh, of course, my uh, original show was Geek News Central. So if you're a, if you're a geek, you can come over to geeknewcentral.com. But of course, we do a company show called Podcast Insider as well. That's at podcastinsider.com. So really just Google my name and you'll find me. In the, but Todd at blueberry.com is a direct email address. Awesome. Todd, thank you so much. Huge, huge pleasure. Have a great weekend. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you.